Last week, I said to you guys that I had intended to preach in this idea of walking like Jesus walked for last Sunday, and again for this Sunday. Well, as it's working out, it's going to be last Sunday, and this Sunday, and next Sunday, because I cannot get past this little section. It's just too full and too rich. So, um, we're going to just be in this one section for the next couple, three weeks, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is talking to you and will continue to talk to you. Um, at the beginning of the service, I had us read the Apostles' Creed out loud. Not the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed out loud. It was reading number 14 in our hymnal. If you want to pull that back out and refer to it for just a second, I want to, <clears throat> I want to look at something. On the top of the of, of on the top of the other page. In other words, it's it's the, the, the hymnal is kind of hard because it's not numbered by pages. It's numbered by the readings and the hymns. So the the Nicene Creed is hymn or reading number fourteen. But you go to the next page, which is the second half of Nicene Creed, and at the top it says um, he crucified. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. And this is the part I want to focus on. And sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. Now, um, that one little phrase. Just an innocuous little phrase. Sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Turn back to reading number 8, the Apostles' Creed. Again, the second half of the Apostles' Creed, located on the top of the page where the reading, where hymn number 9 is, it says, He descended into Hades, the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What does that mean? Why is that little phrase that Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of God, in other words, sitting right there by the Father in heaven, why is that important? Why is that crucial to who we are as Christians? Because as, as you may recall, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are ancient creeds of the Christian faith that were crafted, were drafted to help fight against uh, heresy to, f to help give a clear understanding of what Christian belief was. So these words, both in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, were prayed over, were mulled over, were argued over, were chewed on, were meditated over, and were finally put into these creeds and have stood the test of time for literally thousands of years as this is what we believe is pertinent to our understanding of who God is and how God relates to us. Why is it important that Jesus ascended into heaven and currently sits at the right hand of Father until such time when he comes back to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom. Why is it important that we believe and understand that? I'll tell you. <laughs> Turn, please, to 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. 1 John, 
chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's on the screen for those of you who don't have access to a Bible right now. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, there's tons of things just in these two verses that we could go on for days and days and days about. We just don't have the luxury of that kind of time. But the, there are a few things I want to highlight before I get to the very crux of what I want to talk about. First of all, um, at the very first line, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's a whole sermon right there. It's possible for a Christian to not sin. And that was the reason John wrote, one of the key reasons why John wrote this letter. He also said that the goal is for Christians to not sin. But if by chance you happen to sin, so again, a whole sermon that we could talk about, about the, the idea that the Christian life is supposed to be lived in a holy and pure way without sin. But if you happen to sin, there's hope. It's not all over with. You haven't totally messed things up and ruined everything. Skipping down to this last part of this, it says, and not for ours only, okay? He's not just the propitiation for our sins. He is also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is A, if you are a Christian and you, even though you're trying to live a holy life, even though you're trying to honor God with the way that you live, if you happen to fall into sin, or if you happen to willfully choose sin, there is an answer. If you are on the opposite end of the spectrum, again at the opposite end of this passage, if you are not in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian, but you are intrigued at all by the message that's being spoken, there's an opening for you as well. Because God offers this, not to just a select few, but the grace of God extends to all people. That's what we talked about this morning in our Sunday school class with the idea of an open communion. God has freely offered grace to all human beings throughout all of time. It, the question is whether or not they're willing to respond. So, A, if you are not a Christian, this message is for you. B, if you are a Christian, this message is for you. Because the question is, what happens when we sin? Well, first of all, what happens when we sin is we offend God. When I was a little boy, in first grade, I had to go through the what was called CCD, kind of like Sunday school. And CCD was held on Saturday. Why? 
I don't know. That's where my church always held CCD. And so we would go to the class and the teacher would teach us about Noah or Jonah or whomever. And then as I got older and I got to that first grade age, all of a sudden we started preparing for our first Holy Communion. Okay? In that particular faith, you received Christ ritualistically. In our church, we teach that you receive Christ by making a choice and by receiving it by faith. In that particular thing, they taught you your the Christian beliefs. You memorized them, you owned them, and then you received Christ through the taking of the communion elements. But before you could take the communion elements, you had to confess and repent of your sins. So for the very first time in your young life, you had to get your yellow legal pad out and write down everything you ever did wrong for the first six years of your life. And then go sit in a little box and the priest would slide open the window and you couldn't see him exactly. You could see his silhouette, but you couldn't see his face. And you would then say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. These are my sins. And I li- when I was a kid, I literally had a yellow legal pad that I would read off all of the sins that I had done through that period of the lessons since my last confessional. Okay. And there was a, a, a prayer that you had to pray. It was called the act of contrition. And quite frankly, I don't remember all the words of it anymore. It's been so long since I've heard it or read it or said it myself. But part of that prayer, the act of contrition is, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, my God, or something to that effect. So there was an understanding, even in my young mind, that my actions, my choices, I'll tell you one of my sins. I got mad at my dad one time. He was being totally unfair to me. He was. He wasn't listening. He wouldn't hear hear my side of it. And I got angry. And instead of acting appropriately, because I was only six or seven years old, I looked at him and I said, I hate you! I hate you! Well, when it came time to write out my list, that was the one. That was the only one that whole week. And here I go sitting in the little box and the window slides open and the priest says, yes, my son. I'm like, oh, I told my dad I hated him. It was the first and only time in my young life that I truly confessed and repented because I was heartily sorry for what I had done. Now, I wasn't thinking about my offending God. I was heartily sorry for what I had done to my dad. I felt remorse for what I had said, and I didn't want to ever cause that kind of pain in his life again. And the priest told me to say a prayer or two and that I would be absolved of my sins. But that idea, that, that depth of emotion that I felt, I am so sorry for what I've done, that I've caused harm to my relationship with my father, stayed with me and still to this day means something deep to me. And when I think about my Heavenly Father and my relationship with my Heavenly Father, standing with my fists clenched, looking up at Him and screaming, I hate you, with whatever action I'm choosing, is very similar to what I did as a young child, yelling, I hate you, to my Father. And then the end result is, I have offended a deity. 
I have offended a God by my actions. And I can either continue to stand in defiance with my hands clenched and my teeth gritted and looking up and saying, who do you think you're... You're not going to tell me what to do. Or I can confess and repent. I wish I had the whole thing up on the screen. <laughs> I was looking for the words that I was looking for. In chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a promise, a very specific promise for us who are Christians, that if we will confess and repent, we will be cleansed. We will be forgiven. But it does take that act of cleansing and repentance. The thing is, we as evangelical Christians don't go into a box in a church or a phone booth, if you will, in a church on a Saturday afternoon and wait for the window to slide open so that we can say our sin, our confession of our sins. In our faith tradition, in our understanding of our relationship with God, we can at any time turn to God and say, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. I detest all of my sins. I do not want any way to continue in this, this awkward, uncomfortable, bad... Thank you, because I desperately need those slides. <laughs> Did the computer go off? Oh, the power went out. That's even better. Okay, well, thank you for getting the slides, because I will definitely need them. I'll just talk for a little bit till you get it up and going. Um, what was I saying? Sorry. Okay, having offended thee, repenting, confessing, we no longer go, we come to God. Let me tell you a little story real quick. When we lived in the Philippines back in the 1980s, my wife and I were good friends with a missionary couple. And I won't name them because I don't have their permission to use their names. But uh, this is the couple that the husband would get up early in the morning, the wife would sleep in, 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 in the morning as their normal practice. He would make coffee and sit and have his devotions. And then he would, at the right appropriate time, he would go and take a cup of coffee into the bedroom, open the door gently, quietly set the coffee down on the nightstand and back out of the room, closing the door. Well, this couple was sharing with me and Renee one time that when she was in labor with their first or their second child, I don't remember which, that she, in the middle of her labor, screamed out, Jesus! And her husband got angry because she was taking the name of God in vain. Now, it was not appropriate at that moment for him to confront her because the... <laughs> 
the flesh would have been ripped off of his face. But later, after the baby was born, he wanted to talk with his wife about the way that she had responded to her pain and how it had affected him. And he wanted to, to challenge what she had done because as a Christian and as a minister's wife and as a missionary, you don't do that. And she looked at him and she, she didn't, when she was relaying, relaying the story to us, she didn't, um, she wasn't uh, uh, laughing, but she was laughing. She said, you, you don't understand. I wasn't screaming his name because I was cursing. I was screaming to the only one who could help me in the pain that I was in. I cried out, Jesus! Now, that thought, that idea, that when you have had a problem and you come to the only one who can help you, applies when there's brokenness of relationship between you and God the Father. We teach as a Christian thinking that it is only through the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that we can hope to have right relationship with God the Father. So when I break relationship with God because of willful sin, what would be the most natural response? Jesus! I will tell you that in my personal time, when I have quiet time with God, one of the prayers that I pray is a very ancient prayer known as the Jesus Prayer. And it simply goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There are times in my prayer time with God where that's all I can say. There are times in my prayer time with God when my heart is so broken, all I can do as I'm pouring out the depth of what's going on in my world is, Lord Jesus, please help me. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why would we do that? Why do you cry out Jesus when there's problems? Why do you cry, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner? It goes right back to this verse. Look at what it says in chapter verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Some translations will say Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What does it mean when it says we have an advocate? I'll tell you. An advocate is someone who goes to court and stands before the judge on behalf of the accused and pleads their case. So when the Bible tells us that when we sin, when we have broken fellowship with God the Father because of our willfulness, 
we can turn to Jesus Christ and say, help me. Please, talk to your father because I've broken fellowship with him. Now, uh, Trinity, blah, 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 we don't understand. You, you get it. When I talk to Jesus, I'm talking to the Father. When I'm talking to the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to the Father. When I'm talking to the Father, I'm talking to Jesus. The Trinity, just we can't explain it. But in the way, at least in my own world, in my life, in the way that I relate best with God, I call my God Jesus. So when I'm calling out on Jesus to talk to the Father, I understand that I'm calling on the Father at the same time. But the reality is, Jesus, according to every tradition that we have, going all the way back to the beginning of the Christian faith, based on this verse of scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is our advocate. He pleads our case before the Father. But this verse also says in the second verse, this section also says in the second verse that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That's a good word to give to children on a, on a Saturday morning and tell them to go figure it out. Without saying it out loud, raise your hand if you know the answer to this question. What is the definition of propitiation or propitiate? I have one hand, two hands, one almost. Okay. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our propitiation. Do you guys have your Bibles open to this passage right now? I'm interested to see what translations you might have and what your translation says. Verse 2. Jesus is the propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. What does yours passage say? Anybody? And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Okay, so they use the word propitiation. You said New King James. What does yours say? Propitiation. Anybody else? Mine says propitiation, but also has it. And the word, satisfaction. I'm sorry? At the bottom of the verse, satisfaction. Satisfaction. Okay. Anybody else? Atoning sacrifice. Ooh, that's interesting. Anybody else? All right. Let me take you on a little journey here. I already went through it this week myself. Some translations do propitiation. Some translations say expiation. Some translations, newer translations, will say atoning sacrifice. Okay? How many of you people have ever heard the term mercy seat? It's an old term based on King James. The mercy seat was the area up just at the top of the Ark of the Covenant, okay? The chest that was covered with gold. And on the top of the chest, there was a lid. And on that lid, fastened to the lid in gold, were two angels, two cherubim. 
and they were facing each other, and their wings kind of formed a covering over the ark. And it is said that in the center of that arrangement of angels on the ark lid was the mercy seat, where the presence of God could be interacted with. So when the priest came to offer incense or to offer blood on the Day of Atonement, they stood before the mercy seat on the ark, coming before God, into God's presence. The same word has been translated propitiation. So Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for us when we have sins. Jesus is where you go to interact with God. Jesus is the propitiation or the expiation for us when we sin. But why would some scholars choose propitiation and other scholars choose expiation? Who cares? As long as I get my sins forgiven, that's all that matters. Not so much. This is why. Propitiate means to win or regain the favor of a God by doing something that pleases them. So, come to Jesus. Oh Jesus, I have sinned. I am heartily sorry for having offended my God. Please talk to the Father on my behalf as my advocate and do what is necessary to make it right between God and me again. So Jesus' blood, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, regains favor with the Father and pleases God. Now, other scholars have chosen the word expiation, and it's, it, it's appropriate. You can do propitiation or expiation based on this Greek word. So it's not like somebody's randomly choosing bad things. It's just there's two different flavors to the same Greek word. Expiate. To make amends or reparation for guilt or wrongdoing. Now, I had something that was way too long to put on a slide, but I want to read it to you. It came out of um, came out of the New Beacon Bible Commentary, written by Rick Williamson. Some understand the transaction as the means by which God is propitiated and sin is expiated. Such suggests that God as the offended party needs to be placated. But the New Testament, New Testament repeatedly indicates that God takes the initiative to restore sinful humanity to a right relationship with himself. Propitiation emphasizes the change that occurs in the divine sight. God is appeased. Expiation focuses more on the human side. Offenders are cleansed and restored. In other words, propitiation means that God's legal requirement for having penalty for sin is met through Christ. But the expiation of our sin 
being, let me, let me read to you again the expiation. Uh, expiation is, is making amends. It's, it's saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've offended you. Please let me do what I need to do to make it right. Well, you don't need to do anything because Jesus already did it for you. So coming to Jesus as the uh, propitiation means that Jesus takes care of God's offend, being offended and also takes care of your guilt. He is the mercy seat. He is the focal point for all of humanity to have access to the Father. And as a result, we continue to have right relationship with God. And that's this one simple little phrase in our ancient creed. He ascended into heaven and he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What is he doing there for all of these years? He's our advocate. In addition, he's also the propitiation, which expiates our sin and propitiates God. He is the mercy seat. He is the place where you gain access to the deity. Wow. <laughs> Just mind-boggling. Now, next time you're standing in a booth in the fair and some kid comes up and asks you, how come God blah, blah, blah? Tell him, ah, listen, he propitiates and expates all at the same time because I got an advocate who's with the Father there. Go think on that for a while and go away and stop looking at me. <laughs> now, I know you're not going to use the same words. Some of you might. But the reality is, chew on that for this week. Spend time thinking about what that literally means to you. The goal is to walk as Jesus walked, to not sin. But if you sin, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Amen. Let's pray.